friend. Hi, friend. Hello, friends. Friends. So many. So many friends. Hi, friends. We're just, we can't help it that we're just so popular. What? I don't know. I've never once I'm, been popular. I've, so we're recording this early, which y'all don't know. This is crime culture. The this I'm referring to, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. Um, we're recording early because Haley and I both have a wedding to go to. It is not Haley's. Um, it's also no, not we, mine. We uh, that, did that, that, one left, that left the implication that it's somebody else's entirely. Um, believe it or not, we have friends besides each other. But um, I, because this wedding is over by Haley and not over by Aha. me. I have been depriving myself of sleep because we have to take a red eye. Fun. And so brain low on juice. Perfect. Ready for it. Here for this. Excellent. It's a good thing that I'm doing an informational episode today. Yes. Where you're going to have to know these things because they could save your goddamn life. That's perfect. Do you have anything for migraines? No. Okay. Because sometimes, and I'm anticipating this happening, I get very nervous. Sometimes I get nervous on airplanes. <laughs> um, no, it's not even on airplanes. It's getting to the airport on time. And I am very afraid. I think afraid. that's just general anxiety. That's me as well. I mean, yeah, probably. I mean, hey, mental health. We've got that. Um, well, we don't, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, so I've just been very like... I I I am anticipating a migraine coming to be like hey, you're going to be okay up? and then you're going to land in New York and it's going to be great and we're going to see each other and we're going to embrace and it'll be a fun time. Yeah. And then whatever happens happens. Mhm. <laughs> uh before we I get to the meat of the episode. Ooh, um I did want to meaty. suggest a movie. I know our last two episodes have been purely movie suggestions that's uh, allowed which was yeah not intentional i didn't realize until after i posted the last one i was like huh this is kind of like what we did the week previous but um i watched a movie recently it came out i think in 2020 came out a while ago um if you are interested in the gypsy rose blanchard case i am then you will really like this movie you know that's my thing it's called run <gasps> yes have you seen it i haven't i saw um because tiktok knows me so well um i saw the i saw a clip of it on tiktok and i was like oh fuck i need to watch this but i need to be in like the mental space to watch this it's so really therefore good. it needs to be like after i go home <laughs> yeah definitely a thriller very good um it's on hulu i think it's like a hulu original so it yep. might only be on hulu i'm not exactly sure um mm, but go ahead and watch it it's called run it was very good Sarah Paulson is in it. Yep. That's I don't think that's too spoilery because I know little about this movie, but Sarah Paulson's in it. She is indeed. And I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. It's good. But so this episode came about because last month Elliot and I were on vacation and we were very fortunate. We were able to go to five different national parks. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously, if you're going into the national parks, you have to be safe and you have to like know what the fuck you're doing. Mm-hmm. And we were going to go on not a hugely difficult hike, but a substantial enough it's, hike. A hike is a hike. They don't call it like a walk in the park for nothing. Or yeah. you know what I mean? They don't call it that. <laughs> um, 
Yes, we were going to go on a pretty substantial hike, and uh, Elliot uh, elected to try, tried to elect not to bring water. No. And then, uh, yeah. So th- that's, like, just thinking about that um, made me want to do this episode. So she this is, is so lucky to have you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't just bring the water. Also bring the Gatorades. Uh-huh. Also bring the sunscreen. Uh-huh. Also bring everything else. Uh-huh. A um, hat. Yeah, well, we had no hats. That's I'm what we will do. Gal. We will do a we will do a um, hiking episode. Hey, this is what you yeah. need to bring on a hike. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm more of a bandana bitch. Hey, something. I mean, I'm not a hat hoe. That's that's fine. Normally, however, like you and I are just fair. Of the skin. fairest. Yes, we are the fairest of them all, and. So, like, we need something to shield our little noses because even though TikTok says, because I'm on TikTok too much, in case you haven't noticed, because I've mentioned it, like, twice in the past five minutes, um, even though TikTok says that, like, the cute little sunburnt nose thing is trendy right now with makeup, it is not Ew. trendy, IRL. Do not fuck yeah, up your face. skin cancer is not trendy. Skin cancer is never trendy. No, don't do it. Anyway, so I've sectioned this into a couple of different, um, like, subcategories of... This is like survival myths. Okay. And the first section is about um, what to do if you're stranded places. And I, I, and I'm gonna get to it, but I just want to preface: I got all of these from various survival lists across the internet, uh, cross-referenced a bunch of places. If anything is wrong, let me know immediately, and I will obviously. Uh, address it on the correction section of the next episode but um it is to my knowledge that these are the best practices to staying alive did one of the like experts that you researched into was one of them bear grills no and we'll we'll talk about why he's also bullshit then so my first uh, myth is um, people say that you should drink cactus water if you're stuck out in the desert. Oh, wait, like, so like the bougie cactus water you get from Whole Foods or like you take the water from the cactus that is there beside take you the, because you're dying? We'll take the water from the cactus because I don't think there's going to be a refrigerator where you can just get cactus well, water out no, of No, but I meant like, do you bring it with you? Yes, I know that they're not. If there's a fridge in the middle of wherever you're stranded bad news babe it's a mirage but if you're stranded in the middle of the desert and you see a cactus and you're like oh a cactus is like a living thing in the desert Mm -hmm. it has to store water because like that's how it lives Uh, because it doesn't rain very much and you're like okay let me drink this cactus water um but drinking the water from a cactus is not only dangerous it can also make dehydration even worse Mm -hmm. Cactus water contains acids and toxic alkaloids, chemicals that are deadly to humans when consumed. If you're experienced enough to pick out the kind of barrel cactus that you can filter water safely from, this may work, but that means you have to have all of that prior knowledge. Um, But most of the time, the chemicals that come from the cactus flesh itself can cause vomiting, diarrhea, and in the long term, kidney problems. Oh. It also goes without saying that the spiny outsides of the cactus are very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, But the cactus fruit, like that on the prickly pear cactus, is safe if you can find it. Okay. The cactus water you find on the store shelves uh, is actually made out of the fruits of the cactus, not the water stored within the plants themselves. Oh, yeah. They don't. They're not very forthcoming with this information. No, not on really. these labels. Whole Foods. 
What yeah. gives? And also, uh, if you're stuck on a deserted island, drinking the water mm-hmm. out of a coconut is not um, is not a long, good long-term option either. Uh, it's mm-hmm. only good for every so often. Drinking too much will give you diarrhea and cause even more dehydration. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll yeah. do it. That's mm. What about what Rihanna says about soaking your mangoes in ocean water? Uh, you should not drink salted water. Yeah, but I didn't say that. I said soaking your mangoes. Like you, you take a little slice of mango, you dip it in the ocean, you take a bite, and then you look like Rihanna maybe? Uh, I think like all everything that lives in the ocean pees in the ocean. And like whales have sex mm-hmm. in the ocean, so like I don't like only wanna, whales. Only whales have sex. Only only the whales. Only I whales. don't want to like consume unfiltered water. Kind of anywhere. okay. You you are aware though that you you probably have if you've ever been to a beach, right? Yeah, but I'm not going in there and I'm not like putting <laughs> take, a straw. Up take to a it. straw and just slip, slip, slip. I slip. also used to slip, like slurp. I also used to like eat jellyfish off the beach when I was like an infant. You're kidding. Ask my mother. You did not. What the fuck, Haley? She just let me. You know what? That's more of a thing on her parenting than my grossness. That is that is the childhood injury right there. Mm -hmm. That's why I never got COVID. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. And that that must be it. And I spent too much time around you. And here we are. Here Here we are. are. Um, Another myth is uh, to ration your water. And you should not do this. If you're lost in the desert, a forest, or any remote area with a limited amount of safe, drinkable water at your disposal, drinking the water slowly to make it last seems like a good idea, but rationing water shouldn't be your main concern. Rationing water loss is what you should be concerned about. Wait, water sh- so loss of your rations is what you should be concerned about? No, no, about? rationing your, your water loss. So you're, um, expelling it through sweating. Okay, okay. Um, you shouldn't be running around if you're lost in the desert. You should be really like slow, methodical, taking your time, not getting the wind knocked out of you. Um, we'll talk about pee in a little bit. Okay. Um, but water should be consumed when needed to avoid dehydration. It's important to find shade and limit exertion in order to prevent sweating, like I said, which mm-hmm. releases water from the body. Cutting food consumption is important, too, because water is needed for digestion. So you might think, like, oh, I need to be eating a bunch. I need, like, all the energy. But really, uh, you just need a little bit to survive. And um, water should be – keeping the water in your body should be a main concern. Mm-hmm. And you should be using the time of good hydration levels to take stock of your situation and make good choices. Decision-making and physical ability drop off very quickly when you're dehydrated. The first decisions you make after realizing you are in a survival situation are critical and pay pay, pay it forward longer term. Okay. Um, most survival situations are resolved within 72 hours and many hikers are found dead in the desert with full water bottles. Oh my God. So, yeah. That would be me. Yeah, that's not what you want to do. No. Um, another myth. This is the Bear Grylls myth, I'm going to call. <laughs> it is uh, you want to drink your pee. Well, you don't uh, want to do that because uh, drinking p- your pee in lieu of water um, is a horrible idea. It's actually the waste that your body is removing and it won't rehydrate you. And it will make your body work even harder to refilter out the nastiness that it just got rid of in the first place. If conditions are grim enough to inspire you to consider drinking your own pee, uh, then you are severely dehydrated. Mm. And the urine of a dehydrated person should not be reintroduced into the body under any circumstances. Highly concentrated. 
Yeah, very not good. Um, when on the cusp of heat stroke, drinking your own urine will simply push you over the edge. The kidneys won't be able to cool down. One thing that you can do with your pee, if you want to get a little uh, creative, is uh, you can pour it on your clothes and cool yourself off to prevent water loss and sweating. I'd be more susceptible, or not susceptible, I would be more willing to do something like that than drink it. Not going to lie. Yeah, but also like... I would rather smell like piss than drink it. (laughs) I would uh, just going to put that out there. I have been to New York. I I have been to LA. That's true. I, it's, it's, I've toughed it out there i can tough I'm going it out ahead now and say i don't want either of those situations i don't want to be uh, this is why i don't go outside i don't want any of this however yeah. in the event that we find our for example i'm going on a plane mm-hmm. we've all seen lost or the wild yellow jackets by now Come haven't on, seen everybody. yellow jackets yet but the wilds i have seen and it's excellent and it's a similar okay. concept and Season two just came out and I highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Anyway, um, my next myth is that uh, if you boil any water, it makes it drinkable. Okay. And boiling water will uh, kill organisms and germs in the water. However, if there are harmful chemicals in the water, boiling will not remove those. And the same goes for muddy water. The water must be strained before drinking. And you should make completely sure that the water you drink doesn't come from a contaminated stream. Of course, moving water is always safer than still water. And um, I actually saw, I don't know, I mean, I don't know 100% if this is the correct way to go about it. But I I was watching Alone recently. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a season on Netflix and there's a couple on Pluto. And the guy um, was able to filter the water through moss. so maybe that'll work. Okay. Okay. But again, I mean, you should smell the water before you drink it just to make sure like if you smell the chemicals, obviously it's not like super great. But if you're lost in like the way, 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 way nowhere, mm-hmm. the chances of chemicals being present, I think probably go down. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm still stuck on the moss Speculating. Thing. Yeah. I'm... I don't know. I'm not a wilderness explorer. I barely made it through Girl Scouts. Someone look that up before you actually do it. Um, <laughs> another myth is uh, to eat snow to rehydrate. Mm-hmm. Heard this. So if you're near hypothermia, eating snow will actually push you over the edge. If possible, you should melt the snow and drink the water. Um, another myth is that any kind of shelter is better than no shelter. And... I, yes, a little bit, but whether you're lost in an area where it's really, really hot or really, really cold, finding shelter is 100% important, um, but it has to kind of be the right kind of shelter. Mm-hmm. In hot conditions, your best friend is going to be adequate airflow so that you don't sweat and lose hydration. Again, you want to keep the water in your body. Um, the shelter should be um, the ideal place during the hottest times of the day to provide pr- protection from direct sunlight. And in cold environments, um, you need a structure that will block out the wind and insulate as much warmth as possible. Um, If you build a fire inside your structure, you have to make sure that the smoke can escape, obviously. Survival experts make it clear that the ground itself is important for finding adequate shelter. Digging a hole in the ground can keep a person cooler or warmer, for example, depending on the climate. Hmm. Um, But don't count on natural shelters like caves and rock overhangs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't count out 
natural shelters. Okay. Um, okay. Obviously, like, that's one of those things that, like, you kind of got to, like, if you're in that situation, you kind of got to use your best judgment because oftentimes they are already occupied uh, by other creatures. Mm, that's a good point. That's an so, excellent. I didn't even. Mm, I'm good. Thanks. Unless it's like something cute and cuddly. I don't. Not a lot I'm, of like cool. wild creatures are cute and cuddly. Not until you make friends with them. All right. Well. I'll see you out in the the wilderness. I I was going to say, like, I would be that bitch that would die trying to pet, like, a wild bear. You know, as opposed to a domesticated bear. Um, We have actually quite a few of those, though, in downtown Santa Monica. So. Yeah? Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, like, the Abbey. Mm -hmm. And Stash. And get get it, because. I got it. Okay. Because I, I, I like gay bars. Okay, bye. <laughs> okay. Um, another myth is if you are lost in the wilderness that you need to find a food supply immediately. And uh, there's actually a lot of things that are going to kill you in the wilderness. And starvation Good. is definitely one of those things. But it will be unlikely that it's the first or fastest thing to kill you. Um, you can survive up to six weeks without food. Um, the exact amount of time could actually vary depending on the starting point and other health issues, but regardless, um, water and shelter from the elements are more important than food in the very short term. And again, most, uh, missing person cases, um, like lost in the woods cases are solved within 72 hours. Mm -hmm. So you will likely be rescued before starvation gets to you. So you should look for water and warmth and protection, um, as soon as possible before you look for food okay um another very very popular myth that i have definitely heard a million times is that moss grows on the north side of the tree Mm -hmm. and it is brought up in many cartoons and pop culture references but it doesn't always grow on the north side of trees moss can grow on all sides of the tree depending on environmental conditions and the species of moss all you have to do is go to the pacific northwest to see that moss grows on everything everywhere every side huh so that doesn't yeah it doesn't need to be on the north side of the tree um yeah like in the pacific northwest in like a shaded forest or near water it it pretty much just grows everywhere Uh, that's Um, some that's some bullshit that's some bullshit because i mean that was hammered home right yeah yeah that's pretty crazy oh my god but um aspens uh for example they um have this powdery um outside on their on their bark which can act as a natural sunscreen Mm -hmm. um that will whiten your palms and it's a better indicator uh because the powder on this tree is heaviest on the trunk's south side oh okay i mean that again that's a fact that i found on different survival websites so if it is incorrect someone will let me know we're we're learning so much i love this so much Another myth is that if an animal eats something, it's okay for you to eat. And that is That's, not true. I was going to say, I mean, my cats eat their own vomit. So I mean, you could. You probably mm, could, but I feel like you not can't. to sustain yourself. Given the tummy troubles that they have also, I feel like no. That's true. Um, but birds and squirrels can eat certain berries and mushrooms that would kill a person. Some okay. animals eat plants that happen to be edible to humans, but these... Uh, same animals can also eat plants that are very dangerous. 
Uh, birds are actually the worst animals to emulate. They eat a variety of things that could very well kill you. Um, I thought you were just saying birds are actually the worst animals. And I was like, we don't need to hear about the birds aren't real conspiracy theory right now. And yeah, <laughs> fuck birds. Um, yeah, uh, just because an animal eats something doesn't mean that you can eat it. So that makes don't sense, rely though. on that shit. Why um, would you? Don't do that. No. Please don't do that. Um, rubbing someone's skin or putting them in a hot tub to warm them up if they're freezing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a myth. Fuck. You never, ever, ever want to rub frostbitten skin. Frostbite occurs when ice crystals form in your skin and other tissues, and rubbing the injury causes even more d- tissue damage as the ice crystals lacerate new cells. And putting someone in hot water can be shocking or damaging um, if they're dealing with frostbite or hypothermia. You need to warm someone back up slowly, preferably with blankets and some warm water bottles under the armpits. Oh. You also want to give somebody, I mean, once you're out of the survival situation, you want to give someone painkillers because frostbite mm-hmm. is extremely painful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another myth is that you should follow flying birds to find water, which I had never heard before and seems kind of like, yeah, that's wrong. Because that, I was going to say, like, what about crows? Yeah, but like some aquatic birds rarely leave the water's edge. Others travel all over the place to or find food. what if food. they're flying south for the winter? Exactly. It's been said that geese fly towards water at dusk, but it isn't always the case. They could simply be flying towards a known clearing to spend the night. And since we have no way of knowing a bird's plans for the evening, we, can rely, we can't rely on them to lead us anywhere. But um, they're probably going to recharge. Mm. So... They're going to a charging station, so maybe you should follow them to uh, somewhere. Yes, and that means they probably have a Tesla. So you can just hop in the Tesla, warm up. It can probably bake pizzas at this point. I don't really know what Teslas can do, but I'd be surprised if, like, it can't do something like that for you. It can do a little dance every holiday season, so yeah, who knows? Um, Another myth is that... Uh, you should start a fire as soon as possible or keep it going all day. And this might be a good option if you have a huge amount of firewood and are concerned about starting a fire later on. However, people underestimate how much firewood they'll actually use each hour. Um, just to get through a night, it's suggested that you have a stack of large split wood at least knee high. Um, you can easily double that if you start your fire too early in the day. So uh-huh. you will go through firewood very quickly um i think like i mean obviously you need like good dry wood to start a fire so um if you're in a situation where like you're in the pacific northwest where it rains very often Mm -hmm. um maybe starting a fire to dry some stuff out can be helpful um but it's getting that first fire started that'll be one of the biggest challenges yeah um my next section is about different dangerous situations that you could be presented in. Mm -hmm. Um, The first and uh, one of the more prevalent myths that I've heard is that you have to wait 24 to 48 hours to report someone missing. And if you have seen any 
crime drama or movie, chances are you've heard a time gap somewhere in this time frame that you have to wait like a day or two to report someone missing. But law enforcement officials actually urge people to contact them as soon as possible in the event of a a missing person. Mm -hmm. Illinois police detective Richard Coleman explained, quote, Call us right away with as much information as you can give us. Don't hesitate. Don't go out and think you can find this person. If you're going to do that, contact us right away so we can send out resources. End quote. Mm -hmm. Criminologists say that within the first 72 hours after someone goes missing are the most essential hours to finding them and making any delay in reporting can present an even bigger challenge. Canadian and British authorities similarly urge uh, proactivity in the instance of a child or adult going missing. But in countries like Brazil, authorities won't investigate an adult going missing until 24 hours have passed. So you should look in your country what the um, uh, reporting times look like. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, Another myth that i i get i think i had heard before is that um if you're in a falling elevator that you should jump before it hits the bottom have you heard I, this one so it's not that i've heard it i was just watching what was i watching i was watching um you've got mail the other night and they said something about that because spoiler alert even though it's like 20 something 30 maybe even years old um they said something like oh like we should jump in an elevator because like the elevator broke or whatever the fuck but that seemed very i have never heard this but it seems very counterintuitive to me because how do you know that you're not going to go from being like stuck or what have you to like decom original tower of terror starring steve gutenberg and kirsten dunst like y'all can die so fast i feel like like It's a machine. It's not human. It's not going to sit there and use its little logic and be like, oh, they're clearly jumping so that I will do the thing that they want. It's it's I feel like it's not a good idea. I feel like it's a bad idea. But also, like, if you're in a broken elevator, what are the odds that the little like floor counter is still working? So, like, how do you even know if the floor counter is not working? If like whatever is not working, how do you know that that isn't just like that? There's not like one thread one thread that is keeping everything from going to shit and by jumping there you go yeah i'm not here for that i i do not claim this yeah it seems dumb and movies portray elevators falling down their shafts uh pretty often it comes Mm -hmm. up a lot but it this doesn't happen very often there are safeguards in place and elevator technology itself has advanced to regulate elevator speeds Hmm. However, if an elevator does fail, the drop will determine the severity of whatever happens to anything that's inside. In pretty much any instance, jumping serves no real purpose. A short fall would be unnecessary due to low momentum, and a long fall wouldn't protect you from impact. Okay. Nicholas Gerbis of Life Science said figuring out exactly when to jump would be a challenge. Like I said, like if the little counter thing isn't Mm -hmm. like going, then how the fuck do you know? How do you know? Um, Yeah, right? Um, and a jump would reduce the speed of the fall by only three miles an hour tops. Plus, you'd likely hit the ceiling and get hurt when you land. Okay, that makes sense. Lying flat on your back is another option, but if speeds were high enough, momentum would keep you from staying on the elevator floor. According to Mary Roach in Packing for Mars, The Curious Science of Life in the Void, uh, sitting or standing is um, neither a better option. So if you're in a falling elevator fucking hang on make sure your head doesn't hit the ceiling and uh that's about as much as you can do 
that's yeah that's all you can really hope for at this point don't be in an elevator take the stairs yeah there you go there you go you get your steps in yeah Apparently that's like the big millennial thing it's get like how, that's that's how we know we're the boomers is that we say get your steps in yeah good um another myth uh i think this one is pretty pretty well known been debunked is uh if you're stabbed you should pull the object out no yeah you don't want to do that that's not good um punctures require immediate pressure and some sort of absorbent material for blood but if the thing you are stabbed with is still in you do not want to pull it out removing it may open up a deeper wound or removing the pressure uh that the object is applying inside by leaving the object in you're essentially plugging up the hole dr malcolm mahadevan uh put it this way quote once you pull out the knife, it's likely the proverbial guy who has his finger stuck in the wall to stop the water from coming through. The minute you pull out the finger, or in this case, the knife, that's it. End quote. Mm. And this is true for even the smallest of punctures. Emergency physician Gail Larkin recalled, quote, I had a patient once with a very tiny stab wound to his chest. Someone on the scene had pulled out the knife by the time we arrived. The patient argued vehemently that he did not want to go to the hospital. It was tiny like a fingernail slit it was hardly bleeding he felt fine we finally convinced him to go as he began to feel lightheaded he died of a tiny but fatal Mm. puncture to his heart if the knife had been left in his chest who knows if he would have lived and (gasps) and that is pure speculation if that guy had like that is uh who said who's to say if that guy would have lived but it's best practice to just keep whatever's in in there let the professionals take it out where they can um, better control any type of bleeding or any emergencies mm-hmm. that could arise. Um, another myth that I didn't think that we needed to even debunk is um, that you should fight back during a robbery. Uh, mm. Never heard of that before. Cause fuck that. Um, if I you're mean, in, maybe that's just because we're also like, we are not fight. We are flight. Yeah. Or we are freeze. That. Or uh, in some in some cases, fawn. Yeah, or hide. Hi, Mr. Robert. You look so nice today. I love that black on you. It looks so good. <laughs> no, that's not me. Because <laughs> that would involve talking to somebody, and I won't do that. That's true. That's true. It's okay. I'll talk us out of a robbery. All right, good. Okay. Uh, if you're involved in a robbery, whether at home or a place of business, uh, law enforcement officials urge total cooperation with the offender. In some instances... It is uh, legal to take initiative and fight back, but you should consider your safety above all else. According to Garth Newham uh, from the Institute for Security Studies in South Africa, quote, research that we have seen shows that in particular situations like house robberies, business robberies, and even street robberies where victims have fought back, it more likely than not triggers violence from the culprit, end quote. Mm -hmm. In 2018, North Carolina police officer Jonathan Frisk pointed out, quote, it doesn't matter how much money or any type of product, nothing is worth your life. If I'm on one end of the store and someone comes in and they pull out a gun and say, this is a robbery, if there's another door and I can make it to an exit, I immediately want to try to get out and avoid the situation. And yeah. And I'm going to say, if you are involved in a robbery at your place of business, like there's been like robberies at like McDonald's and stuff. McDonald's mm-hmm. does not care if you live or die. Give them everything. Give them coupons give them the fucking soft serve machine give them all of the money that is that you have mcdonald's is gonna be fine 
Mm-hmm. So give them everything. Yeah. There's no fucking way I would uh, Die risk anything McDonald's. for a business. That too. Yeah. Die from McDonald's? I it's mean, likely. that happens more often than not. I was going to say it is likely, but... Um, another myth is, and this is one I, I know is debunked because of working as a lifeguard, but um, the myth is if you get someone breathing after they were drowning, then they're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you rescue someone from near drowning, they still need to go to the hospital, even though they are safely on land. The lungs are coated with a slippery mucus, which is a horrible phrase. Um, yep. it, but Don't it's like a it. substance called a surfactant. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like a lubricant that keeps them from collapsing and sticking to themselves. And if they ingest, if the person ingested a lot of water into their lungs, the chances are that they have washed away this surfactant and their lungs could collapse at any time. And um, their ability to take oxygen in is reduced. And um, you want to get this person oxygen. I think, I think that's what they call dry drowning. Or maybe is that's that when you ingest like a little bit of water or something like that. I don't know. The it's like when you, the first one sounded familiar. Friends. Yeah, it's when you when you drown, but you're like on land and stuff. I think, Should I text I think my friend who's in med school right now and be like, "Hey, real quick, <laughs> what's dry drowning? What's dry drowning?" No, it's all right. I, <laughs> it's it's something like that. Um, my next section of survival myths is about animals. Do I want to hear this? Yeah, especially the first one. And is you definitely cats? have heard of it. Everyone's heard of it. Oh, it's that they'll eat you when you die. No, that you should pee oh. on a jellyfish thing. Oh yeah, it's on Friends. It's everywhere. Yeah. Despite what some people would tell you and what movies and just everywhere will tell you, peeing on a jellyfish thing may make the pain worse and will do little, if anything, to quote unquote neutralize the venom. Yeah. Additionally, peeing on a tentacle may actually cause it to contract, injecting more venom into the skin. (gasps) Did not know that part. So it could be horribly bad. So don't do it. Holy shit. That sounds horrific. That's. mm -mm. Yeah, not good. Mm -mm. And then you just have pee on you? No. Mm-mm. no not here um, for that another very popular myth is to suck out the venom if you're bitten by a snake and um sucking out the venom from a snake bite is obviously a very common movie trope but in reality it's not a good idea at all according to medical professionals like dr barry gold quote the only thing that's effective is taking the person to the hospital end quote attempting to suck the poison not poison venom this person was wrong uh, from a snake bite uh, may make things worse depending on um, because you putting your mouth on the bite can also like lead to infection. That's yeah. not good. If the bite delivers venom, um, it immediately enters the bloodstream, and putting your mouth on the bite will deliver extra bacteria to the wound and may just get the venom in your mouth and your esophagus and not good. I'm all right. Um, I'm all right. Thanks. It's also dangerous to cut open the wound to remove the venom. Not a good idea. Both Mm-mm. of those could um, cause nerve damage to blood vessels, and tourniquets and ice are also ill-advised. You want antivenom. Oh. That's what you want. Go to the hospital. If someone gets bitten, you want to try to keep the person's heart rate low and hold the affected limb uh, below heart level and apply a pressure dressing while trying to get to the hospital. In extreme survival scenario, you want to clean the bite with water and whatever first aid equipment is available Statistics show that 0.00007% of all snake bites become lethal. And in 30% of bites, no venom is actually transferred at all. So the best way to deal with a snake bite is to prevent them from happening, obviously. 
You don't want to put your hands or feet in any areas that haven't been inspected or that you can't see. It's also important to note that a rattlesnake's head can still bite a few hours after death because their nervous system is still active. Okay. So don't get close to it if you think you killed it. If you're going hiking, you want to wear uh, tall boots. You want to tuck any pants into your boots. I mean, that's also good practice for like, yeah. ticks and shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least in Australia, you do not need to identify or try to catch the snake that bit you because anti-venom is universal. So that's don't worry about that. Interesting. Obviously, if you're with someone and they get a good look at it and can describe it, it might help. But uh, there's a lot of anti-venom that is um, universal. So especially because if you're going like hiking in like a national park or something like this specifically like U.S. based um, general like parks will have like general snakes that are in the area. So like as long as you say like what area you were in, there's kind of like three or four snakes that it could possibly be. That's so fascinating to me because you don't think that like, wow, right? Wow, I not that I don't learn something every time I talk to you, but just like, damn, that might be the most interesting thing to me so far. Yeah, because like that's not how the movies show it. Not no. the movie is law, but you know what you else know. is a movie myth? Uh, that if you are being chased by an alligator, you should run away in a zigzag. I have never heard that. Granted, we don't have a lot. I've never really heard much about like what to do in an alligator situation because I did not grow up near a place where you would find alligators except for the zoo. But I did hear that you should do that if there is someone shooting at you. Huh. I do not know if that is accurate, but I did hear that that is something that you should do. All right. I don't know. So just don't just be careful. Just be careful. Yeah. But Um, but alligator expert Frank. Uh, Mazzotti told the Los Angeles Times in 2012, quote, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, and that's the fastest. Run away in a straight line. Everything you hear about running in a zigzag line is untrue, end quote. Although alligators move quickly on land and in water, achieving speeds as high as 9 to 10 miles per hour, alligators generally do not go after someone unless they're provoked. Do not get close Mm. enough to an alligator to provoke it. Uh, If you're at a water's edge in, like, Florida or something, uh, run away from it. In a straight line. Don't yeah. worry about zigzagging. Um, this is a myth that I had never heard before. The next two are. This one is that snakes can't bite underwater. What the fuck? I never heard that before. That's. There's. What? Yeah, I, but that, I mean, maybe that was a myth. Up, that, yeah. Apparently that came up. Um, but in addition to the fact that all snakes can bite underwater if threatened, both <sighs> the coral snakes and the cottonmouth snakes are venomous aquatic snakes. Hmm, good to know. Interesting. And they, they routinely catch prey underwater and can bite you from underwater if you encounter them and they feel threatened. In some cases, you may not even know you were bitten until sy- symptoms develop. Mm-hmm. If you begin sweating, have a headache, are thirsty, or vomit within a half hour after swimming, it's a good idea to check yourself for bite marks. Other symptoms that develop can include stiffness, body aches, and a stiff or rigid jaw. And obviously, oh. you want to seek medical attention immediately if you develop these symptoms after swimming, especially if you locate bite marks. Mm-hmm. You should Makes also sense. be aware, like, if you're swimming in a new body of water, you should probably, like, be aware of, like, what can be in there. Snapping turtles, that's a big thing. You don't think about oh, snapping turtles. They yeah. can fuck you up. They can chop off a fingy or a toe. Yeah. They can. It's not great. It's not great. That. 
Uh, another myth, this is another one I never heard of, that bears can't run downhill? What the fuck? Who is coming feel, up with these? Who I feel is- like I've seen, like, like uh, not Blue Planet, because that's the ocean one. The, the planet. Green Planet? <laughs> no. Captain what, Planet? What's the one? Uh, is it Planet Earth or something? That docuseries that has, there like, all the animals? There is a docuseries, Planet Earth. Yeah, but I feel like I've seen in it, like, bears running down. <laughs> Like, what's that one from the discovery i think it was the discovery channel where it was like da 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 i don't know and there's you, like you national to geographic like first shit grade. too yeah Whatever. yeah or or you know what's that what's that other one um with yogi and boo boo they run downhill all the time yeah i don't know man with their picnic baskets but apparently that there's this myth that bears can't run downhill because their front legs are shorter than their hind legs what the fuck yeah, but uh, bears can run in any direction alarmingly fast, averaging about 30 miles per hour, depending on the bear. Uh, but National Park Service naturalists who observed grizzly bears uh, during the 1930s reported it was, quote, able to keep pace with a horse going downhill, not uphill. Mm-hmm. End quote. And this means that uh, it doesn't mean that it couldn't run uphill. It just means that the horse was faster and uh, you're not as fast as a horse. So barrel fuck you up. That is a quote mm-hmm. from my father. Um, aside from a few exceptions, Usain Bolt being one of them, uh, humans cannot run as fast as bears or outrun them. And the recommendation for safe interactions between humans and bears is avoiding them. Yeah. Don't fucking go near a bear. Yeah. That seems pretty simple. Yeah. It's not, it's not hard though. I mean, I am sometimes thankful for those who do go near bears because for one thing we learn, but you can like, you can zoom you can get a, a nice zoom in lens. You can get a nice zoom in lens, but at the same time, so I had a very, well, I, I mean, yeah, I grew up having large dogs and we had a very, very large Fair black dog. dog. I've told you this story. Yes. Um, and one day, shortly after we got him, he ran away and was therefore unfamiliar with the environment. So he was honestly, he was just too excited because he saw snow for the first time. But anyway, um, peop- the people, one called the sack over because our area would get the occasional black bear thought that he was a oh, black yeah. bear no and yeah he fully could look like a black bear he 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 was like 200 pounds y'all he was he was a large baby um but he like was walking around just and because he also was like he predisposed lumbers to, he lumbers I and mean, he was yeah. predisposed to hip dysplasia so like he was really doing the lumber and again he was large um and so they, these people thought that there was a black bear in their backyard and one of their sons, who was like a couple years older than me, we went to the same high school, like went out there and only when hardly was my dog lifted up his tail just to be like, oh, hey, what's up? Were they like, oh, it's not a bear. But like, had they not been like, oh, we're going to go out and investigate this bear. Yeah. I don't know where Harley would be right now. But don't well, I know where Harley is, but don't, don't go investigate a bear. Yeah. Stay Unless you think it might be a very large dog. Yeah. And their owners might be missing them. Another but. myth, kind of a myth, is um, to play dead if a bear is going to attack you. Mm-hmm. And uh, like we just talked about, the best way to avoid being attacked by a bear is to avoid the bear entirely. But if it's in your yard or around your campsite, you want to make yourself large and loud to scare the bear off. You want to mm-hmm. do the, uh, hey, bear. Hey, bear. Hey, there, bud. Uh, In the case of an actual attack, your reaction strategy should depend on the kind of bear that is attacking you. You don't want to play dead to a black bear. You always want to fight back, make yourself look big, 
loud, intimidating. You don't want to be worth the fight. In most cases, a brown or grizzly bear attacks to defend itself or its cubs. At these times, it will warn you off by making noises and pretending to charge. You want to back away from a defensive attack slowly. And if the bear makes contact, play dead, lying on your stomach with your hands over your head and neck. But in the rare case of a predatory attack, which comes with no warning, or if the bear seems to be stalking you, um, experts say to fight for your life. Okay. And uh, you, I think I mentioned it before. You can use the rhyme, black attack, brown get down, white get down. I didn't know that one. If you get attacked by a polar bear, fuck, go, you're dead. If you get attacked by a polar bear, what are you doing, baby? Why are yeah. you there? Like, don't don't <laughs> go near. Don't don't be in an area where there's polar bears. Don't, yeah, that's that's the solution. And my last animal myth uh, that is probably the most popular is that you should punch a shark in the nose to get away. <laughs> and punching a shark in the nose uh, isn't very effective because as zoologists are aiden martin pointed out quote if you miss the snout its mouth is unfortunately very close by end quote uh that's a good point yeah Yeah. in addition most people lack the upper body strength to deliver a blow powerful enough to stun a shark um especially when punching in the water i know because i have tiny little noodle arms (laughs) um experts say that you should claw at the eyes and gills which are more sensitive on the shark's head and on the sides of the head not near the mouth. Ryan Johnson, a shark researcher and documentary maker who studies great whites, shared a better option with the BBC in 2017. Quote, use something hard, be it a camera, a stick, a rock. In a situation where you don't have that, going for the face and gills and trying to keep your hands out of its mouth is going to be the best thing. End quote. Johnson also noted that running away can entice a shark and standing your ground is the better option. So, yeah. If there's a shark in the area, obviously you want to get out of the water uh, as soon as you hear the call. And if a shark is circling you, uh, avoid and uh, fight if it attacks. Yeah. But also you're in his area. So you're, I was going to say, like, you're in his house. Like, he's, just, he's just getting off. He's like a get off my lawn kind yes. of uh, move there. He is a Clint Eastwood shark through and through. Uh, my last section of myths is just a couple about natural disasters. Um, one of the first is that you can wait until you hear a tornado before you need to take cover. I have never heard this one, thankfully, because I am not in like a tornado area of the world. Yeah. Although there's been tornado warnings like in my area, but like none that are like those huge, crazy like Wizard of Oz cyclones. Mm-hmm. Um, but weather outlets issue tornado watches to indicate whether conditions are right for a storm and warnings if one has been sighted. So that's the difference between a, a tornado watch and a tornado warning. Okay. Although it seems like it's an okay idea to wait until you hear the actual tornado to take cover, if you hear it, you're likely too late to get to safety. Mm-hmm. In the instance of a tornado, you also don't need to open the windows to relieve pressure or find the southwest corner of the building, like other myths have said. In addition, um, an additional myth about surviving a tornado involves uh, driving when one strikes. Contrary to popular belief, crawling under a highway overpass to seek shelter is a very dangerous option. Meteorologist Phil Warren explained that, quote, winds will actually funnel under the bridge and accelerate, end quote, and this causes objects to fly around and uh, the road could collapse. Mm-hmm. 
And if you're caught outside during a tornado, uh, staying in your car or finding a ditch to lie down flat in are your best options. Um, but also don't be in the path of a tornado. Yeah, that's that's our that's our best advice is have you ever tried just not being in the path of a tornado? Some people don't always have the option, obviously, like not tornado blaming, but um be safe yeah no and if you're in an area of the country where there's like a specific natural disaster you should probably know like the best uh practices to surviving that disaster like this one yes this one's for you this is uh, for if you. there's an earthquake stand in a doorway um i mean i i have heard mixed reviews on this i actually once got into a debate with somebody at a job interview about this quite literally it was the interviewer and i did not get that job um but it's all right if there's a if there's a an earthquake they're probably dead i mean um, i'm not wishing that on anybody if you're listening i promise that's not me that wasn't me saying that um, um this used to be true several decades ago mm-hmm. um but i work in building and i know that most modern buildings uh the door frame um is set in after the main structure is complete and it's makes it one of the more weak spots. Um, many years ago, they used to make buildings better. Yep. Um, so they made it would have been, better. yeah, it, it would have been a good idea um, um, a while ago, but instead now um, they advise you to get under a desk or table. Oh yeah. So that's that. And then this uh, last one, uh, is um, that you should always swim parallel to the shore if you're caught in a rip current. And a rip current is very scary, obviously, but mm-hmm. swimming directly parallel to the shore works best if the, rip co- if the rip current is going directly out to sea. So this isn't wrong. This isn't fully a myth, but it's good to know that it, many rip currents come in and out at an angle. And your general idea should be to stay alongside the shore, but swim perpendicular to the current as much as you can. Okay. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, quote, at an angle away from the current and towards the shore, end quote. Okay. It might be easier to swim one direction instead of the other. You don't want to tire yourself out too much. It shouldn't feel as if you're going upstream. If you can swim out, uh, if you can't swim out, tread water until you can. And um, just this is from a past lifeguard, past water safety instructor, uh, past uh, swim team coach. Everyone needs to learn to tread water. Mm-hmm. Every yes. single person should be able to tread water for a long time. You need to learn how to swim. <laughs> it is very important for people to learn how to swim. Um, and you should... Definitely know how to tread water and float if you can. I, I have friends that can't physically cannot float, um, but in that case, you need to be real good. At how can water. you physically? Not that I don't believe it. I just I'm curious because doesn't that have to do with like you you float like you just float? I, I, I don't, don't remember the exact. Like, I understand that when I was there's teaching, science to it, but we would teach like group lessons and like obviously the first thing you want to teach like little kids is you want to teach them like if you fall in the water here's what to do. You want to float on your back. Yeah. So you can breathe. Somebody can come get you. Yeah, you can't swim, but you can float. So you want to teach kids to float. Um, And my one friend who was instructing with me, like he could not, he could not float. Like his legs would sink every single time. And he was like a junior Olympic swimmer. Like that's fascinating. Yeah. He could swim like a motherfucker, but 
But he could sink too. He can't <laughs> float. I'm. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. You should just be do something to keep your head above water. That's the the main goal there. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but those are my survival myths. If you have more, or if you have corrections uh, or additions, definitely let me know. We will add it to um, one of our next episodes. So uh, we're banking a couple. Um, so let us know, and we will add that. You can let us know on any of our social medias. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a website that's crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. You can reach out there. You could also email us crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Um, you could also join our Patreon. You could. Uh, you can join for as little as a dollar, as much as whatever you want. Uh, different tiers get you different rewards. I just sent a postcard out recently to uh, one of our patrons. Mm-hmm. Our poll ha- has been live for a little bit to mm-hmm. choose one of our next episodes for this month. Um, there's live chats happening. There's mm-hmm. different fun things. Uh, so join our Patreon. Uh, I think it's patreon.com slash crime culture or... Uh, it's it's in our link tree, which is in the bio of all of our different social media. So if you find one thing, you found them all. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's definitely in our link tree. So just yeah. do the um, thing. So that's that. And be safe. Yes. And we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Bye.